Welcome to Black in Time, the podcast remembering pioneering people and defining moments from Black British history. I'm your host Liv and I'm a bit of a nerd. I started this podcast as a challenge to myself to find something that happened each day in Black British history. From births and deaths to events of national and international importance, each episode I'll look at the week to come and explore events that happened each day in history. Here's the event from January 18th through to January 24th. I see the new crossfire that a murder. Blow! The new crossfire that a murder. Thirteen people lost them life in a fire. But I say the fire that On January 18th, 1981, a fire swept through a house party taking place at 439 New Cross Road. It came almost 10 years after a similar attack on a house party in nearby Ladywell. In episode 5, I discussed this attack in more detail, so do check it out for more information. The party on January 18th was a joint celebration between Yvonne Ruddock and Angela Jackson. It began the evening before and continued through to the early hours of the 18th. At the time of the fire, there was a lot of racial tension in New Cross, with far-right groups such as the National Front active in the area. That night, there had been complaints from neighbours about excessive noise from the party. Initially, police suspected that the party had been firebombed as a revenge attack or to stop the noise. However, subsequent investigations concluded that the fire had been started inside the house, either by accident or on purpose. A theory was later floated that a fight had broken out between a group at the party Media coverage of the fire adopted a suspicious tone, suggesting that something untoward had been going on at the party, shifting focus away from the possibility that the attack had been racially motivated. Despite 13 young people being killed in the fire and 27 injured, the local MP John Silkin didn't raise the fire in the House of Commons nor was a message of condolence sent to the families until weeks later. Two years after the fire, Anthony Burbeck, who attended the party, fell to his death from a block of flats. It is believed that he took his own life after the traumatic death of his friends. In 2002, the High Court ordered a new inquest into the fire. The inquest recorded an open verdict in 2004. Ten years ago, a plaque was unveiled in memory of the 13 young people who died in the fire, and Anthony Burbeck, widely regarded as the 14th victim of the fire. The names of the young people who died in the fire were as follows. Paul Ruddock, Lloyd Richard Hall, Humphrey Brown, Peter Campbell, Steve Collins, Jerry Francis, Patrick Cummings, Rosalind Henry, Yvonne Ruddock, Owen Thompson, Patricia Denise Johnston, Glenton Powell, and Andrew Gooding. (music) 
On January 19th, 1965, Pearl Prescott became the first black actress to appear at the National Theatre, playing Tituba in a production of The Crucible. She was also one of the earliest Caribbean entertainers to appear on British television. Born in Trinidad in the 1920s, she was a classically trained singer and came over to England in the 1950s after winning a scholarship to the Guildhall School of Music. Following a recommendation by the Secretary of the West India Committee in London, an audition was arranged at the BBC. Pearl went on to land roles in many BBC productions, such as The Day Before Atlanta and The Barren One. Before starring in The Crucible, she appeared on stage in numerous plays, including Evan Jones's The Spectators and Barry Reckford's Flesh to a Tiger. The 1965 production of The Crucible was produced by Sir Laurence Olivier and was one of Pearl's last roles before her death. Away from TV and stage, she was active in anti-racist organising in the UK. Pearl was good friends with Claudia Jones and helped to coordinate London's first Caribbean carnival. She also worked with Jones to organise the March on Washington Solidarity Demonstration in 1963. She was survived by her son, Colin Prescott, a sociologist and cultural activist. As a player, Roy Francis scored 229 tries in 356 top-flight matches. As a coach, Roy Francis may have laid down the foundation for modern rugby and in many ways professional sport as we know it. And yet, the Google results... On January 20th, 1919, Roy Francis, Britain's first black professional sports coach, was born in Cardiff. He was adopted as a child and raised in Brinois, where he grew up playing rugby for the local team. Age 17, he joined Wigan and quickly became a favourite among fans. Despite developing rapidly, his progress was stifled when the team got a new coach. Roy was told that he would not succeed and so he left the club. Shortly before the war began, he signed with Barrow, a Cumbrian club, and continued to play rugby while a member of the British Army. At an international level, Roy won five caps for Wales and scored a crucial try, helping Wales to win 13 tries to 10 against England at the 1946 European Championship. His GB debut came the following year against New Zealand, and in the process, he became the team's first black player. Although he scored two tries, he was never selected again. Once again, Roy's skin colour proved a limiting factor in his success. He joined Hull in 1949 and became a player coach. On Boxing Day of 1955, he made his final appearance, immersing himself fully in coaching. Roy led Hull to victory, winning the championship in 1956 and 1958. He is recognised as the first person in British sport to use modern coaching methods. This included specialist coaches to develop players' skills, personalised training plans and diets, as well as ensuring psychological support. 
After many successful years at Hull, Roy moved to Leeds, and once again he turned the club into a powerhouse. Following his time in Leeds, he moved to Australia, helping to transform the fortunes of the North Sydney Bears. Again, his skin colour was an issue, and within years he was back at Hull. Despite only being with the North Sydney Bears for a short time, the team's decades of success thereafter can be traced back to Roy. He died in 1989, age 70. Although he was one of the country's greatest coaches and revolutionised coaching practices, he has largely been forgotten by the wider sporting community. January 21st, 1950, Leslie Sebastian Charles, better known as Billy Ocean, was born. Aged 10, he moved to London from Trinidad and sang regularly in London clubs. In 1959, he adopted the name Billy Ocean, inspired by a local team from his hometown in Trinidad called Ocean's Eleven. A year later, Billy released his eponymous album, the first single, Love Really Hurts Without You, reached number two in the UK charts and number 22 on the Billboard Hot 100. Other hits from the album included L.O.D., Love on Delivery and Stop Me if you've heard it all before. In 1989, Billy's career really took off when his single Caribbean Queen was released. It reached number six in the UK charts and number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Caribbean Queen also topped the Billboard Black Singles chart. It was recorded under different titles for different parts of the world, charting in countries including New Zealand and South Africa. The song helped Billy to win the 1985 Grammy Award for Best Male R&B Vocal Performance, making him the first British artist to win in that category and cementing his status as an international star. A string of hits that reached the UK and US top 10 followed. Shortly after this, Billy went on a hiatus, returning in 1993, before going on an extended hiatus to raise his family, lasting well into the early 2000s. In 2010, he received the Lifetime Achievement Award at the MOBO Awards, and his most recent album, titled one World was released in 2020. Radio. Try as you see. Each and every Sunday, strive. On January 22nd, 1982, Dread Broadcasting Corporation, also known as DBC, the UK, well, Europe's first black-owned radio station, was featured on the Oxford Roadshow. The Oxford Roadshow was a magazine show broadcast on BBC Two in the 1980s. DBC first aired in 1979 from the house of Leroy Anderson, also known as DJ Lepke. At the time of DBC's inception, black music was not widely played on mainstream radio. Earlier in the 70s, 
Lecky lived in New York and noticed that black stations were more common in the US. Keen for there to be something similar in the UK, he acquired a medium wave transmitter and began broadcasting. Widely remembered for its roots reggae focus, DBC also gave airtime to genres such as soul, funk and R&B. Among those whose careers were kickstarted at DBC were the singer Nena Cherry, journalist Lloyd Bradley and of course the radio presenter Rankin Miss P. DBC segment on the Oxford Roadshow featured Ranking Miss P in action and took us behind the scenes of the station setup. It also followed Lecky as he gathered signatures for a petition in a bid to get the station legalised. Although DBC only ran for five years, it was the blueprint for many radio stations that followed, such as JBC, Harlston's Black Community Radio Station, and of course, Choice FM. On January 23rd, 1919, a race riot broke out in Glasgow. During the First World War, thousands of people from Britain's colonies had been sought to fill employment gaps. After the war ended, there was mass unemployment in the UK due to demobilisation. This caused issues in industrial cities in the UK and Scotland was hit especially hard. Tensions were high amongst sailors within central Glasgow. Black British sailors were viewed as unfair economic competitors by the nation's seamen's union and local delegates. It's worth noting that at this point in history, there was no legal difference between Glaswegians and migrants from Africa and the Caribbean. Everyone was considered a British subject. As mentioned in episode 5, it was only after the 1948 Nationality Act that British citizenship was legally established. On January 23rd, while sailors, both black and white, waited at a local merchant marine yard, a clash ensued and black sailors fled down the Law, a major road adjacent to the River Clyde in Glasgow. They were chased by a white mob made up of hundreds of people and beaten in the street. Despite this, 30 black sailors from Sierra Leone were arrested and charged with riot and weapons offences. Unsurprisingly, none of the white rioters faced the same punishment. Two white sailors were hurt, one shot and one stabbed. A sailor from Sierra Leone was also stabbed. However, rather than being taken to hospital, he was taken directly to magistrates. On January 24th, 2016, an exhibition at the Guildhall celebrating black British artists came to an end. No Colour Bar, Black British Art in Action, from 1916 to 1990, began in July 2015 and was the first exhibition of its kind. Combining public art and archives, the exhibition explored the black art movement taking impetus from the life and works of Jessica and Eric Huntley. The Huntleys were campaigners, activists and publishers who founded Vogel Overture Publications and its associated bookshop. 
The exhibition was designed as a multimedia interactive experience in which art, sculpture, photographs and paintings can be explored next to the letters and other artefacts illustrating how black artists were influenced by the emergence of independent African and Caribbean states, global liberation struggles and the struggle for dignified citizenship within Britain. Through four themed sections, elbow room, broad shoulders, clenched fists and open arms, visitors to the exhibition were challenged to consider the meaning of the term black art. At the heart of the exhibition was a recreation of the Huntley's bookshop. There were also contributions from more than 25 prominent black artists, including Sonia Boyce and Falcon. The exhibition was a collaboration between Friends of the Huntley's Archives at the London Metropolitan Archives, the Guildhall Art Gallery and the London Metropolitan Archives. In 2018, a book was released documenting how the exhibition came to fruition and noted all of those involved. A website was also set up, the link to which will be in the description of this episode.